listening to sermons from South Point McDonough, where we are equipping the family of God for the mission of God, to see everyone around us transformed by the gospel of Jesus. For more information, please visit southpoint.org. So when we begin this story of creation, uh, I have to, we have to be reminded that as we look at the scriptures this morning, that this is an ancient text. This is a sacred text. And so as we open this week in and week out, we're reminded that we sit under the authority of God's word. And so maybe if you're new, if you're just like, yeah, I appreciate the Bible, uh, know that we are looking at the scriptures breathed out by God by the power of the Spirit. So as we open these, and as we look at these this morning, we come and we look at these with awe and with reverence and with obedience and with humility. And so don't think that I'm sitting here and saying, let me me tell you what I want this to say. I'm sitting under the authority of God's word along with the rest of us. And so that's what we wanna do week in and week out. But we come in obedience to God's word so we can learn more about him and grow in relationship with him. We see at the beginning of the story, though, in Genesis chapter 1, that we are created in God's image. But shortly thereafter, in Genesis chapter 3, we have Adam and Eve, our very first parents. And instead of obeying God's will, they rebel against God's perfect will. So what happens? There's this relationship, this door that is opened between us and creator God. But because of Adam and Eve's sin, that door is shut, slammed, closed forever. It's guarded with an angel with a sword of fire we see in Genesis chapter 3. That relationship between man and God is forever broken. We, We can't open that door. There's no way of getting back into relationship with him. But God in his grace and his mercy, he sends Jesus Christ as this door through which we can walk. That is our only hope for having a relationship with creator God. That's it, is only in Jesus Christ. And so we're gonna be looking at this narrow door this morning in Luke chapter 13. Before we do, I want this to be our prayer from Psalm 119 verse 18. Repeat these words after me. Open my eyes that I might receive God's wonderful word to me. Amen. So Luke chapter 13, beginning in verse number 22. And Micah, thank you for reading that for us this morning. Did a great job. That's nerve wracking. What we see here at the very beginning, we just saw this, but Jesus is on his way through towns and villages. And we see here in the very first few verses that there is a difference between strivers and seekers. There's a difference here between seekers, those who are seeking and those who are striving. We see both those words. But notice here in verse number 22. He went on his way through towns and villages. Now, Jesus is never too busy for the little guy. He doesn't say he went to the mega cities. He wasn't going to New York and to LA and to Chicago. No, he's going through the towns and the villages. He's he's concerned with each one of us. He's teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. We saw in chapter 9 and verse number 51, Jesus had already set his face toward Jerusalem, toward his crucifixion. That's why he came, was to live and to die to be raised to life again. But he has his face toward Jerusalem. He's here marching towards his death. Verse number 23. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? Now, maybe you've wondered this question. What percentage of humanity is going to be in heaven? You ever think about that? I would imagine, though, that in our plural, pluralistic society, most folks never really even consider this. 
for a couple of reasons. We're so encumbered with the things that are right here in front of us, or unfortunately, we assume that since God is love, and that's basically all we know about him, that eventually everyone's going to be saved. That's a pluralistic open invitation, or that there are just multiple ways of getting to heaven, and Christianity just happens to be one of them. But this person here is wondering, is everyone going to be saved, or how many people are going to be saved? This word saved has two different connotations to it. it. First of all, and most of us would say, oh, I know what that means. But first of all, it means rescued from the punishment of God's wrath. Everybody say rescued. Good. The second word that this word saved means, it means kept by God's love. Everybody say kept. So you're both rescued and you're kept. You're in Christ. And as a result of that, we see Paul in Philippians chapter 3. What does Paul say? Because I'm saved, what does he do? He presses on toward the upward call of God. He's not looking back and saying, man, I was saved. Boom, I'm done. No. He's saying, you're saved, and then your life begins marching toward Christ, toward being with him perfectly. So as we read this passage, we don't come at it and say, okay, how do I, how do I earn the salvation of God? The way that you receive God's salvation is through repentance and faith. But Jesus is going to say here to this man, here's what salvation looks like. It looks like the life of Jesus. It was not an easy life. He says life in the kingdom is a struggle. Notice here, he says there are two different types of folks. And he said to them, verse 24, this is Jesus speaking, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. This word strive is the same word uh, in the Greek that means to antagonize. If you saw the word in Greek, it, would, you would almost, it almost says, looks like antagonize. It means to strive, to struggle, to keep pressing on. This is not a casual interest, but it's an intense exertion toward a goal. Again, what Jesus is not saying is keep trying. Keep trying really hard. He says, if you are in Christ, this is the way that life is going to look. It's going to look like me. I was hated. You're going to be hated. The Christian life, most of the time, our cultural Christianity is we're hoping life is going to get easier. That's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying going through the narrow door is difficult. It doesn't really make sense. The second word that we see here, the second group of folks, not the strivers, but the seekers. He says, for many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. This word seek actually is a word to investigate. It means they're curious about it. It seems intriguing. It seems interesting to them. You may consider it, and it literally means to seek. You think, man, you're looking intensely, but the Greek word here doesn't mean to look intensely. It means you're looking from a distance. So there are some who are striving. Man, this is the life that Christ has called me to. He says, man, lay aside everything in this world. Lay aside what you hold most valuable and take hold of what is truly most valuable, which is the cross of Christ. He says, that's the striving that he's talking about. He's calling you to a new life, not just a new decision. He's talking to be possessed by this Trinitarian love, not just profess that, oh yeah, I made this decision and now I can live however I want to. He says, this is the fruit of being possessed by God. The fruit of having faith in Christ is striving toward this goal of being with him forever. So he says there's a difference between seekers and strivers. 
The second thing we see here, beginning verse number 25, is that faith in Christ determines if you are an insider or an outsider. We pick up, he says, when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you. I do not know where you come from. I have no idea even what you're talking about. In other words, you can say, man, I, I know about Jesus. I have a familiarity with him. But Jesus is saying, knowing about me is not the same as being part of my kingdom. Just because you know about the kingdom doesn't mean you have a place in the kingdom. Verse 26, then you will begin to say, but wait, wait. we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. They're like, we have an in with you. Aren't we insiders? We saw you face to face. Like you came and talked to us. You hung out with us. Don't, don't we, doesn't that count for anything? Remember who Jesus is speaking to here. He's speaking mainly to the Hebrews. He's speaking to the Jews. He's speaking to Israel. He's, they're, they're saying, wait, wait a second, but, but you came for us. You're one of us. You're a Jew as well. Doesn't our, our national identity account for anything? But notice, verse 27, but he will say, I tell you, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. We saw back in verse number five of this chapter, unless you respond in repentance and faith, Jesus will not claim you on the last day. You will be disavowed by the Son of God unless you repent of your sin and turn to him in faith. It doesn't matter if you are here every single Sunday, if you give above and beyond 10%, if you're part of a life group, if you're a pastor in the church, if you went to seminary, it doesn't matter your family of origin. It doesn't matter who your parents were. If your dad was a Southern Baptist preacher and your mom played piano, been there. <laughs> like that's, it, that doesn't matter. He says, unless you repent of your sin, unless you respond to him, he does not know you. He doesn't even know where you came from. So the question is not, do you know about Jesus? But how have you responded to him? Notice the people's response. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, all the people they revere and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are cast out. They are so incredibly sad that they are not part of the kingdom. They're gnashing their teeth. They're saying, this is not fair. I was a good person. Look at everything I brought to the table. Jesus, you don't understand who I am. And Jesus is saying, you do not turn to me. You do not lay aside the things of this world. Therefore, you're going to be separated from me for all of eternity. There's a difference between insiders and outsiders. Those who truly know Christ and have a relationship with him and those who just know about him. But then verse number 29, he says this. And people will come from east and west, from north and south, and recline at table in the kingdom of God. So we see here that the invitation is both exclusive and inclusive. This invitation of the kingdom. So this is where it gets good. This is where you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So what about us? Where, where do we fall into this? This is us right here. As Gentiles, as non-Jews, this is where the invitation is open. And Jesus is saying, it doesn't matter your, your starting point, where you come from, how good you are. He says, there are going to be those coming from around the world. 
including McDonough, Georgia, including wherever you came from, from north, south, east, and west. This is exclusive. Notice in verse 30, and behold, some are last who will be first, and some are first who will be last. So you may think you have things figured out. You may think you know the way by simply knowing about Jesus, by doing the right things. He says, you may think you're first in the kingdom by looking down at other people. He says, but you are actually going to be brought low. You see, this call of Christ is exclusive. There is no other way into the kingdom except through Jesus. He is the only begotten son. The monogenes is the word in the Greek. The only mono and genes looks just like the word genes. The only identity, the only way, the only begotten, the only way to get into heaven is through Jesus Christ, this narrow door. There are thieves and robbers and liars who are saying, no, there are other doors over here. Come enter through one of these doors. This is how you can get into the kingdom. You see, friends, we all want what the kingdom has to offer. We all want peace, joy. I was listening to a podcast yesterday uh, with Joe Rogan. Can't recommend it, so I was listening to, let me re- I was listening to a podcast yesterday, uh, and on that podcast um, was a, an Indian guru. And uh, he was this Buddhist monk. He'd gone through everything. And it was really interesting. I, I listened to it because someone recommended it to me uh, to learn about farming and different things with the soil. But what I found interesting was the goal of this man in his enlightenment was to experience peace, to experience joy, to experience love, to experience significance and meaning and oneness. We all want what the kingdom has to offer. But there is only one way. It is an exclusive invitation. The father says, this is my kingdom. And I tell you how to get in. It's through my son. It's exclusive to us. Don't be seduced to another door. But not only is it exclusive through Jesus Christ, it's also inclusive. Because it's not exclusive just to the Jews. It's inclusive for us from north and south and east and west. You don't have to learn a certain language. You don't have to learn the Greek or the Hebrew. You can just speak English. And you can barely just speak English at that if you want to. You don't have to learn a special language. You don't have to go to a special place. You don't have to look a certain way. You don't have to wear special things. You don't have to offer special sacrifices. It's inclusive. The only call, the only requirement is to repent of your sin and have faith in Jesus Christ. That's it. It's inclusive for everyone. That's good news for us this morning, amen? The door is closing. Hebrews chapter nine, I think it's in verse number 27. It says, it has been appointed to man once to die and then the judgment. The door was wide open in creation. It was slammed shut because of sin. The door is narrow, it's cracked thanks to Jesus Christ But when Christ returns or when you die, the door again will slam shut. There's no purgatory. There's no second chance. There's no, oops, let me reconsider that. There's no reincarnation. You are living. You are going to die. The door is going to be slammed shut. Will you be included in Christ? The invitation is here for us. And the beautiful news, people will come. Acts chapter 1 and verse number 8. What does Jesus tell his disciples? He says, take this good news to the ends of the earth, to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, all over. This is for us. And friends, it doesn't end with us. 
South Point is not a, a spiritual cul-de-sac. And we sit around and say, man, things are awesome. Let me just keep making left turns, you know? Some of y'all are like, I like that sport. I love NASCAR. I don't, I don't get it. No, our church is a thoroughfare, 12 lanes wide, and it's going to keep moving on. The gospel does not end with you. You have the gospel for the sake of bearing fruit for other people to come and eat. So declare that good news to them. It is here. It is available for them. Maybe you're here this morning. You say, but you don't understand my past, either in a good way or a bad way. You don't understand who I am. You don't understand how much Jesus wants me. And I say, he does want you, but not because of you, because of him. You may say, but you don't understand my past, how jacked up I am. You don't understand my family history, what's been done to me, what's been done by me. You don't understand the bad things. You don't understand the thoughts and the struggles that I have in my heart and my mind. Friends, Jesus has a kingdom of healing, of forgiveness, of peace, of hope, of love. He is the king. He is the one who has made it possible. He has offered himself, and he invites you and beckons you in. That's the good news of the kingdom. That's what Christ offers. So no matter your past, repent. Repent. Turn to him yet again today. So consider, think about trying to squeeze through a narrow door. You ever try to go through a narrow door, a door that's really small? I was thinking this week about the, the old dwarf house door. You know, anybody else go there? It's really small. But if you ever had a door that's just barely cracked, he says here, a narrow door. We, we should have that in our minds. And to get through a narrow door, you don't just go trampsing through. No, consider getting through a narrow door. It's difficult. It's a struggle. You actually have to strive to get through that narrow door, right? That's why he says, strive to get through the narrow door. It's a struggle. The reason it's a struggle is because our sin and our flesh are so strong and so overwhelming for us. He says, a struggle to strive. It's a struggle to confess and repent of sin, right? It's a struggle. For some of us this morning, we confessed sin last Sunday during our time of confession, and we confessed it again this morning. Why is that? Because it's a struggle. The way of the kingdom is difficult. It's a struggle to be generous with our time and with our talents, with our resources, when we're in a season of lack. It's a struggle to respond in kindness when we face some sort of obstacle. It's a struggle. But what does Jesus do? Say, ah, you know, I, you probably have a good reason for that. Consider the last time you were in a, since it's family worship, this is what my kids, a discussion with your spouse. <laughs> Consider the last time you were in a discussion with your spouse. For me, I don't have to think back that far. <laughs> Where did your mind and your heart go in the middle of that disagreement, of that discussion? Where did your mind and your heart go? For each and every one of us, it went to what we know. It went to anger. It went to vindication. It went to finding the bad guy and making sure that the bad guy was on full display. And guess what? The bad guy wasn't you. The bad guy wasn't you. That's what you know. And it's logical. And we would even say, 
it's justified to go to what you know. It's natural to think that something besides the kingdom is worth it. It's natural for you to think that something besides the kingdom is worth giving your life to, giving your mind, your emotions, your thoughts, your efforts to. That's natural for us. But the struggle of the kingdom is real. However, the struggle and the squeeze of that narrow door, that struggle is not your greatest problem. Because sometimes, ah, man, you just don't understand. You don't understand who my wife is, how my husband is. Ah, let, Let me justify this. Let me turn it in my favor. Friend, that struggle that you have relationally there is not your greatest problem. Not showing the love of the Father is. Not showing the love of, your fa- of the Father is your greatest problem, even then. You see, because when we run to self-justification, we destroy an opportunity to show grace. When we go to the facts of the matter, we murder an opportunity to listen. When we go to retaliation, What's lost is the chance for us to show mercy. When we want to prove ourselves, what is stolen from us is the opportunity to know that person's heart and to reveal the heart of the Father to them. Being squeezed relationally and still showing the Father's love, that's the narrow door. All other doors, control, predictability, retaliation, anger, using your words, those are not the narrow door. Jesus is saying here, consider your life. Which door are you often running to? This is a litmus test for our spiritual lives. Which one are you running toward? And the same would be true in our places of work. When we're squeezed there, how do we respond to our coworkers, to our boss at home? How do we respond to our kids? How do we engage with our neighbors? Ah, well, you don't understand how bad my neighbor... Listen, you don't understand how bad you are in light of God's holiness. And he still extends love to us. When you're at school, kids, how do you respond to those or those in the neighborhood? How are you responding when they're better than you or they're being mean to you? Friend, how do you respond when you're at home alone all by yourself and nobody's going to know? How do you respond then? Because responding in humility and in grace and in mercy and in peace and in finding your satisfaction and your significance in Christ alone, in running to the cross, it is not logical, but it leads to life. Your natural reaction of thinking that there is something better than the kingdom is logical, but it does not lead to life. Everything everything seems more logical than the squeeze of the narrow door, but Jesus says that the kingdom is worth it. The kingdom is worth it, friends. And in fact, Jesus demands it. Verse number 31, we are a church we see here that we are a church that needs Jesus' boldness and brokenness. So we saw in the first few verses, there's a difference between seekers and strivers. 
Faith in Christ alone determines if you're an insider or an outsider, not what you bring to the table. The invitation is both exclusive for Christ alone and it's inclusive for all of us. But we are a church that needs Jesus' boldness and brokenness. Verse 31. At that very time, some Pharisees came and said to him, get away from here for Herod wants to kill you. Now, the question that I've been asked a few times this week as people have looked ahead of this and the question I had of myself, are these Pharisees, are they actually nice guys? The answer is no, probably not. We don't know for sure, but we know Pharisees. We know them. So they're probably saying, hey, you're in our jurisdiction, jurisdiction Jesus. <laughs> Say that five times fast. You're in our jurisdiction. Can you go somewhere else? Because you're kind of creating a stir. I imagine that's their heart here. But he says, Herod Antipas, who already killed John the Baptist back in chapter 9, he says, he's coming to kill you. That is what Jesus says. And Jesus says to them, go and tell that fox. <laughs> like, man, I thought Jesus was like just walking around blessing people. That word fox, it doesn't just mean like somebody who's cunning and crafty, but that word fox literally means somebody of insignificance or of little account. He says, I'm not worried about him. <laughs> it's just Herod. Behold, let me tell you about Jesus. Behold, I cast out demons and perform cures today and tomorrow and the third day I finished my course. He said, Herod is no match for me. Have you seen what I do? Do you know who I am? Do you know why I'm here? My course is to complete the mission of God, and nobody's going to stop me from that. And guess what? On that third day, that's when I'm going to rise, and my mission is going to be complete on this earth. He says, nobody's going to stop me from dying when I want to die. I'm already going to Jerusalem. I'll see you there, Herod. I'm going there. You're not going to stop me before I get there. I'm going to go to some more towns. Here's my plan. My plan trumps your plan. And my plan is to rise again and to offer my death and my life so that you can experience life after this death. That's the good news that Jesus Christ offers here. He says, I'm going to go do this. L literally, that's a Hebrew idiom for an indefinite period of time. He's like, I'm not. He, in other words, when I, I lived in California for a few years. When I went out there, they thought I was just the biggest redneck. And I'm like, no, nah, man, come on back to Butts County. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, can, uh, I can show you some. Um, but when I was there, I would always say, hey, I'm fixing to go do this. And they would be like, you're fixing what? You're, are you fixing your car? Are you fixing something? I'm like, no, I'm, I'm fixing a, I, I'm fixing a, that's what Jesus is saying. So we understand this. And you're like, I don't understand. That makes sense to me. And I'm like, yeah, because we're all a bunch of rednecks here, you know, like this makes sense to us. Like this is our vernacular. But we understand this. They would understand that to mean like, at some point, Jesus is going to wind up in Jerusalem, whatever he wants to do. Verse number 34. Now let's do 33. Nevertheless, I must go my way today and tomorrow and the day following, for it cannot be that a prophet should perish away from Jerusalem. He's saying, I'm going to die there. Here's what's going to happen. I'm not going to perish anywhere else. I'm going there. Verse 34. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. This represents the core, the heart of Israel who has rebelled against God's good plan. Notice how Jesus responds to them, to these rebels. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. Even you who are going to kill me. You've killed those before me. You've taken the revelation that I've tried to provide for you all throughout the Old Testament. And you killed these prophets. He's already talked about that. This is nothing new. 
How often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings, and you were not. In other words, that literally means right there, and you would not be gathered. It literally means you were not willing. You were not willing. Friends, it breaks the heart of Jesus to see those who are turning their backs on him. But notice what he says. I want you to be saved. He says, you were not willing. You were not willing. The invitation is here. And because of your free willingness, because of your free will, you are not going to be saved. Our free will gets us nothing except separation from God. Notice Christ's response. Verse 35. Behold, your house is forsaken, and I tell you, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. He's quoting here from Jeremiah. But we see both characteristics of Christ here. His boldness in saying, my mission is going to be accomplished. And we see his brokenness for these people. I want you to come to me. I wish you would accept me. I wish you would repent and turn to me. I wish you would step into that narrow door. We will be a church, South Point. We will be a church that risks our lives for the sake of the good news of the gospel. We will be. We are going to be a church that's going to be bold and stand on the word of God when it's not easy. But we are also going to be a church that is broken for the lives and the souls around us that are turning and running headlong through other doors. May we have the boldness here of Jesus, but may we also have, like Jeremiah, he's called the weeping prophet. He cries over Jerusalem. May we be a people who are weeping for those around us. We need his boldness and his brokenness. We had to have that for us, and we still need it for others. There are five things I want us to walk away with this morning. Five truths that we see here in this passage as we think about life and death and this narrow door. First, the question is not if you will die, but when. Some folks are like, oh, man, we got kids in here. We're talking about death. Yeah, they, they know. We're not going to shelter them from that. It's not a question of if, but when. Friend, make sure you're ready. It, whether you believe in the eternal torment of being separated from God or not, if you die without being ready, you will experience it. Turn today. Secondly, as long as there is breath in your lungs, there is hope for your souls. So don't be scared about the fact that you're going to die. There is still hope for your soul as long as you're sitting here today with breath in your lungs. Don't presume upon, upon tomorrow. All doors claim to bring life. They claim to bring the kingdom. And I would ask you this morning, even we're going to partake in communion in just a minute. But what doors are you presenting to people? Are you presenting life or just a band-aid to help fix a situation? What door are you often running to? Is it the door of being, light, of, of being squeezed and strong to show the Trinitarian love of God? Or is it a door of making yourself big? A door of self-justification? 
Thirdly, Jesus proclaims himself as the door and beckons you to enter it today. Jesus is the one who took the wrath of the Father and he opened wide that door. It's a narrow door, but it's open wide. That door that was slammed closed by our great, 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 great grandfather, Adam. He says, come to me and receive and experience and live in this life. Fourthly, don't know everything about the door without running through it. Don't know everything about Jesus, the narrow door, without responding to him in faith. These Israelites, they thought they knew everything. These Pharisees, these most religious people, they thought they knew everything about Jesus, but they had not responded to him in faith. And what's Jesus do even in the midst of that? He weeps because he wants you to walk through that door. He cries out. He beckons you to come in. Have you responded to him in faith today? Lastly, life in the kingdom compels urgency for our church and the lost among us. There, there are those around us, all around us, who are on the path of God's wrath. And by the way, that's how we're born, is on the path of God's wrath. Folks are like, oh, you believe this? What about free will? Yep, he gave us free will. And he set us because of sin on this path of God's wrath. And when we want to pursue our own will, our own desire is to stay on that path. Jesus has done everything necessary to secure your eternity. He's done his part. I've done my part. I've said, man, do this. Respond to him in faith. And we plead with those around us to respond to him in faith as well. The, the most vexing question for us is he doesn't say get wrapped up in, hey, what has saved me? One saved all, how many, what about this? Well, what about those? How many are saved? Only a few. The most vexing question for us is why would Jesus save anybody at all anyway? So we come to him in repentance and faith, crying out to him and saying, I've got nothing to bring. I've got nothing. It's only because of your life, your death, your resurrection, and the power of the Spirit illuminating these scriptures and speaking to our hearts that we respond in faith. Respond in faith this morning for the first time or yet again. Because this squeeze is going to happen until your life is demanded of you or until Christ returns again. But respond to him in faith. Maybe you've been living over here in your kingdom and you're like, yeah, there's, there's life in the kingdom. Of the, I know what I should be doing. Man, step into this kingdom of life. It is worth it, Jesus says, because of his finished work, he makes that kingdom worth it.